Yes. My mom is very, she worries a lot and she's very, um, kind of dramatic, you know? Yeah. (gasps) Like, oh my God, all the time. Yeah. Um, especially if it comes to me or Alma, um, which is sweet, but it's also, she's not just dramatic about that. She's just kind of like that. Like, (gasps) what happened? You know, all the time. And, and I'm not like that. And it um, makes me feel ragey when she does it. (laughs) (laughs) So she, so I posted a picture of Alma to Facebook last week to my personal page, just saying, um, "Oh, the one with her feet." Yeah, the one where she was at the doctor's office and she has huge feet, and it was like. Alma, my mom has been away, so she's, like, kind of disconnected. I was like, you know, Alma's been sick. Um, bad news is she's been sick. Good news is she's fine. Other news is, look at these feet. She has these crazy feet. So her, my mom's husband, Derek, says to her while they're in the airport waiting to come home, hey, did you see this post about Alma? I guess she's been sick. And my mom, like, you know, flies off into panic and starts texting me and calling me like, oh my God, is everything okay? What happened? And it's like, I, my instinct is just to get mad. Like, stop, stop right now. Stop the insanity. So I kind of just did that. I got really annoyed and defensive instead of just telling her that everything was fine. Well, I mean, okay, I understand that. But, but um, I, my mom is, is similar, but I um, can't stand it on her because I can see it in myself and I hate it when I'm like that. But it's funny that you don't yeah. like it in your, I mean, I'm not like that. I'm not a worrier. My mom is a worrier. Um, like yeah. I wanted to get her a shirt that said, you, you girls, <laughs> I wanted it to say, you girls know how I worry because she says stuff like that. Oh um, God. Yes. I know. That's but it's cute. I think, do you think I, it's generational or do you think it's like. I think it's somewhat. Hmm. I I don't know. I it's I don't have it either. My grandmother, her mom, my mom's mom was like, I mean, just destroyed by worry all the time. You know, yeah, the, like Italian Nona, yeah, that just worried. It was like her job. She worried <laughs> about everything and everyone. Yes, and my mom has it, but yeah. it's maybe a little less extreme. I don't have it. Um, and I don't know if that's a reaction to my mom or if I just don't have the gene or what. I don't have it. And, you know, there's lots of other stuff inside that reaction to my mom. But, you know, I hadn't talked to her for a while. She's calling. She's genuinely like, <gasps> and I, I just know. was like, oh, stop, you know. like Yes. Yes. I would tell <laughs> you if something was wrong. It was oh. a Facebook check yourself you know yeah and she my mom never stands up to me and she wrote me this text it was so sad afterwards she goes I just I just keep thinking 
um, how I wish you weren't so defensive with me. I have a right to be concerned about you or Alma. Yeah. Oh, I know. It just breaks your heart. I know. know. It's the thing that I like. It's the thing that I work on the most, which is just, I mean, that's my mom. That's how she is. With your mom. And I love her. I love how she is. And it's cute. And you know what I mean? I love that everything is a big deal. Um, But it does. I think it just, it's diff. I'm, I am very different in that. I don't worry about I mean, I worry about stuff, but I don't worry about like everything. You know, I don't. Yeah, it's I, not like your reaction. To it. I have like anxiety, have, like, but work. I don't worry about everybody right. and everything and every like and and also um, I have a pretty high threshold for um, surprise. And now mm-hmm. I don't know. And so, but I I but I know exactly what you're saying, and I hate myself for it. I hate I myself know. for feeling. I you're oh. so much. You're so sweet with your mom, though. Like you're so much better. My mom is where I'm by far the least spiritual person. I mean, by far. I can't. I have such blocks. I can't like. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it on the show. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I um. I can be really hard on my mommy. Like I, I try my best. She's the best. She's the best mom in the entire world, and I try my best. And I love. I have like such a sweet spot for her. I do. But also, yeah. um, I'm her daughter. <laughs> like when she left Italy, I, I cried for the entire day after she left Italy, and I called. Because you my- were sad. Because I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, and I finally called Danny, and she's like, "What is it?" And I said, "I think my the only thing my mom's gonna remember about her time in Italy was how mean I was to her." And um, I mean, I die. I was dying, and I kept apologizing to my mom about it. And this was the sweetest thing. Danny said, "Honey, that's your mom. She knows you." And she said, "And, and moms don't see that." And then. I yeah. kept on apologizing to my mom. My mom kept on apologizing to me because she's she's handicapped and she, I wanted to, you know what I mean? I wanted her to like run sprints around Rome and um, I, oh I didn't God. want her, but that was like the, agent, know, that was right. the itinerary I planned. And um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it. <laughs> and um, and she did. I mean, my mom is a badass. She, you know, kept up, but she kept on apologizing for not being able to do enough. And I was like, whatever, please. Like that, that didn't even cross my mind that that would be something. I, it wasn't disappointing at all. And then I kept apologizing to her for being mean. And she just didn't even like she, it didn't even resonate with her. All she remembered was the good stuff. And I know it's true. That's a tr- <laughs> that's a very true point. And I can say that as a mom, all not could do anything (laughs) and I still would love her like I hope she doesn't um turn out to be as big of a bitch as you (laughs) the way I feel sometimes I hope she doesn't feel that but if she does I'll still love her yeah um it's true that's true it's just it's like it's such an interesting it's such a big and interesting dynamic um it really is but, yeah, but I know exactly what you're saying. Time. No, because I don't want to. Like I res- like this is as much as I want to talk about my mom in this show. I want to respect her. Um, uh, I think you're right. Well, she's your mom so, listens. She listens and she reads all my stuff and she's so good. I mean, I've written some really hard stuff and she's never once mm-hmm. said, please don't write that. She's always been. She's such a good cookie. I love that woman. Okay. I do too. All right. So... Shall so we we're doing this it? one over. Oh, well, because I mean, why? Why did you want to do it over? Well, it was lame. It's a, such a <laughs> it's such an important topic, and we didn't. We tried to do the thing where we don't plan 
at all. It's and it never awful. really works out very it's well. Awful. Um, yeah. And I just, it didn't go, it's a, it's such a big topic. I, we needed to both like give it some thought before we just started blabbing. I would have stopped listening to us if I heard that show. There's been episodes yeah. where I listen to and I'm like, if I listen to this crap, I'd never listen to these girls again. Um, I know. I know. All right. So we are doing, what is the title of the show? Hell is other people. Hell is other people. Um, and before we start, one thing I really wanted to, we're talking about, I mean, this show is really about, this is your idea and you're going to, you're going to read a letter. Um, but before we go into it, because one of the pitfalls of the first time we tried to do this was we kept on wanting to bring up the positive side of things and saying how wonderful people were. And like that's a known and that's a given. And so I, in order to not distract ourselves as we're talking about what dicks other people can be and how painful that can be <laughs> as you're moving through sobriety, we're going to talk yeah. first of all and get it out of the way that we think people are nice um, and yeah. about the good parts. And so um, uh, yes. do you mind if I start on this? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So we started talking, we're talking about this like painful, painful part of sobriety where all of this stuff reformulates. And as we kept on going through this in the last episode, I kept on saying, but there were so many good things. And and I do have to say that like for me, getting sober has been the best thing that has happened to my relationships. But I mean, there is no, there is no, uh, there is no other way that I look at it. I do not look at this as the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I do not look at this as, um, right. as the as the falling apart of everything that was good. I actually find have found that this has been where my where I've made my truest friendships. And so, I want to just put a point in that and say that my the you know there's been for as many people as have been you know awful or dicks or as many people have disappointed me there's been you know three to one and the number of people that have really been amazing um you know my friend jeff carried me let me you know stay at his apartment for free while i was quitting my job my friend anna lee my um you know i had so many friends that i worked with that were healthcare providers that gave me you know free treatment or that talked yeah. with me or that supported me i mean the number of angels that came out of the woodwork and the number of people that really um, people really rose to the occasion. Not all people, but but many, many. My friend Danny. Oh my God! You know, I just i I can't even begin to enumerate the ways that people surprised me in their kindness and in their acceptance. Um, and that's a big part of this too. And and the other part I'll say about you know uh, the good side of this is that my friendships were not authentic um i had authentic love for people but my friendships were not authentic because i was not authentic and i was living a half truth and there was there was no there was no person in my world that knew who i was or the depth mm-hmm. of my story or what i was doing and mm-hmm. I, you cannot, when you live that way, you cannot have authentic relationships with anybody. There's things that come between you. There's a film and there's things that come between you. Um, I was just reading um, Melissa Phoebos, who we're going to be interviewing. I was just reading Whip Smart and she's talking about, you know, she was, um, she overcame addiction. She also was a dominatrix for years and her life, you know, she split up into half truths and she just talks about it was just like this thing about being around her mother and never really <laughs> having never like it wasn't even that because of the lies it was because she was afraid 
because that thing was with her. There was that thing. Yeah. And she was afraid yeah. it could be smelled or sniffed. There was that thing yes. that you just don't want people to find. And that comes between you and people. It always does. Course, yeah. And so for me, the other side of this is that my friendships are so different in that there's no more secrets there's no more hiding there's no film um you know there's no half truths it's all it's all there it's all congruent it's all integrated um and then not only that it's you know people know what they're getting now and 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 also i don't i don't suffer fools i don't suffer assholes i don't you know i just don't i have different standards um and um and a different caliber of friendships and so for me Yes, this episode is about how is other people, and I really want to go to town on that on that concept. But I do want to state that um, that this is that that you know heaven is other people too, and I really found that to be true. Um, but um, but so but that well but that wasn't evident um, for a very long time, or it didn't feel that way. Um, and that's right. what we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, that was so well said. I. I won't add too much to it. I think. Oh, I really hope you do. <laughs> well, okay. So, so my my view is uh, yes. I would, you know, that the end result or the the today view is it is absolutely sobriety has absolutely been the best thing that's happened to my relationships as well. Um, I, there. I, I couldn't even begin to, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of the negative things, but like you listed some people. Okay. So the number one sort of amazing positive thing I think that has come from this is my relationship with my ex-husband would, you know, is, is one of the best relationships that I have. And it, it would not be possible without sobriety and not because I'm not drinking. I mean that, yeah, that's part of it, but because um, I'm, it's, uh, it, it's real. He, you know, he's getting the real version of me, which is honestly, uh, a lot better than the, the version he got for a long time. Um, I'm more honest. I can own up to stuff. I am able to see other people. That's, that's a big thing. Like I also couldn't really see other people, you know, when you can't be seen, you also can't see other people. I couldn't feel like there's a film on all your on your relationships. Yeah. There's also a film on your feelings. Yeah. And your perception. Ugh. You know, I couldn't feel real joy. I couldn't feel real sadness even. I couldn't feel anything. Mm. And so if your feelings, like I've learned that my feelings are such good teachers um, and guides for for life. And when you are blunted from them you are you know pretty blind so you know my ex-husband my daughter I should that should be number one um it goes on and on there's so much goodness even the relationships that fell off initially um the ones that have surfaced back are truer and more amazing and real and um positive. So yes, I would agree with all that. That's what I would add. Um, I don't, I don't know that I have anything else to say. I think we just, you know, I, I do want to, oh, oh, I know what I want to say. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because it is so big. It's so, so big. And so it's uh, one of, if not the hardest 
things, aspects of navigating early sobriety. What's that? For me, it was. Other people's perceptions, um, other people's reactions to... Yes. Thank you. I just wanted you to say it. Okay. Yeah. Other people, you know, other Other people, uh, uh, (laughs) other people. And, and, and because we, and we're, we'll talk about this, but like, we don't live by ourselves. You know, we don't, we don't, we are not free from as much as we wish we were, we're not free from, um, the judgment of other people and its effects on us. And at that point in my life, I was ruled by it constantly because I was in shame and in guilt and um well in your self-worth I want to say most of our self-worth before we go through a process like this is based on how we are perceived by other people and our rank with other people we live in I mean it's not to say that that's gone you know that's still there but it is to say that that is almost 100% of it. I didn't have a self-concept. I didn't have an idea yeah. of self-worth that, and, and it was very foreign to me to understand that I could give that to myself. That did, wasn't an option. It was, You're how do right. other people see you? What is your status? How do other people think of you? And believe, like, my life felt like a whack-a-mole in, in always chasing the elusive person that didn't like me, you know? There's always somebody that you're out there fixing and massaging, and and if it's not you know what this guy, then it's this girl. If it's not this girl, you know what I mean. It's like this girl's boyfriend, or you know, like just it's always a something. There was always somebody on the list, you know, or or who I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it was never going to be okay, you know, it was never going to be okay because (laughs) because you know it's one thing now to. Um, when you when you do when you are in integrity with yourself and you do have a concept of self, um, it is possible to hold your ground and feel truly okay even when the perceptions and the opinions and the judgments coming at you are not what you wish they were. But yeah. when you when those perceptions and opinions and judgments are just confirming what you suspect about yourself, Ugh. which is really, you know, I'm a liar. You're a piece I, of shit. I'm a piece of shit. I can't do anything right. I, um, it goes on and on and on because we're, be, you know, that's what alcohol did to me. I mean, that's what alcohol did to me. Well, it, I don't even think it's alcohol. I think it's also. Uh, yeah, it was. It is, though. I mean, it's the it's part of it. It's a big part of it. It's like I it's not that alcohol did it to me. It was the it was being sucked into um, the trap of being in an addiction mindset. I c- couldn't get in integrity with myself. I couldn't. Um despite my best intentions and my best efforts. And it was something that it's, it's also the splitting from who you are on the inside to how you behave on the outside. That was so disconnected for me over the course of 20 years that I didn't even know what, I didn't think that I could be like, okay on the inside. I thought the only game in town was trying to be okay on the outside. <laughs> And then just continually trying to keep up the facade, right? And to to plug the holes. Um, Well, what what I was meaning by that, though, is it didn't, my, that feeling didn't start when I started drinking. That's almost like why drinking was amazing. That feeling started with me at a really young age. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I totally agree with that. Yes, yes. 
and was only made worse. Um, okay, so so yeah, so let's get into like I think the way that we decided we were going to structure this is just by talking about a couple of different like experiences, like what it was like with other people in the bad parts. We're just talking about the bad parts. <laughs> yeah, no qualifying. Yeah, good. with the effort to like the point <laughs> is I'll read this letter, and the point is to to like honor how difficult this is to begin with because we both I would say of all the this is something that everybody comes up against um without fail I don't know one person who's been immune to this on their sobriety path none yeah and or any major change you know any major change but drinking because of what it is in society and in our tribes um is particularly difficult I think so did I cut you off? You're gonna we were gonna do we're gonna do some we're only gonna talk about the hard shit. You did not cut me off. And we're gonna do early sobriety experiences or or trying to get sober experiences. The, well the <laughs> trial. trial and the failure. We were gonna talk about the parts where we were trying and failing and what that was like. And then we're gonna talk yeah. about the first year of sobriety, and then we're gonna talk about beyond and just the yeah. The shitty things, just the shitty things to, again, just to honor that instead of tr- being this like, well, no, but people are so good, you know, um, just honoring the no, we're shit. We're not going to say that anymore. No. Until and Until the next episode. Um, and um, also, I was thinking it would be really nice for us to um, to maybe uh, either at the end of each of those those three segments talk about some of the things that really helped us during that time. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Okay, great. Great. All mm-hmm. right. So you go first. I want to hear. During the trial and failure period of getting sober, what are the shitty things that happened? The shitty surprising well, things. Me, oh, the let letter. Let me read this letter. Yeah. yeah. Let mm-hmm. me read the letter. Okay. So uh, it goes. Uh, I hope you don't mind me sending you a private message. Uh, in, the, in the piece you just wrote, you mentioned people who haven't supported your... De- decision to quit drinking or couldn't or didn't know how and how this caused you resentment, anger, sadness, frustration, etc. I have three people in my life who I was very close to, my ex-best friend, also maid of honor, friend who was also in my wedding, and my stepmother-in-law who decided to cut me out of their lives when I quit drinking and I feel all of those emotions. I'm sure each of them would tell you it was other reasons that led them to stop being in my life or maybe not, but I can't help but think it has to do with me quitting drinking. Also, these three people are very heavy drinkers. It's important to note. Anyway, my question is how you have dealt with the resentment, anger, and sadness you felt towards people in your life that have not supported you. I've mostly ignored it or just try to be okay with it and know that they have their own set of issues to work with that prevents them from being in my life and trying to feel sympathy for them and just forgive them. But it just isn't going well, and I would love to hear how you've dealt with it. That's letter. Okay. So, okay. And that's, I mean, that's like the, I just have to reiterate, like for anybody listening who's had, who has, is having, feels that way, has people stuff. People stuff is the biggest thing. Like, I cannot, mm-hmm. like, all this other stuff is big, right? Like, the trial and the failure and the whole drinking thing and overcoming the addiction. Other people stuff um, was the thing that I feel like it doesn't feel that way today. It's really hard to go back into it, but it was everything. It felt like it was everything. It was everything. Yeah. 
It was everything because my whole life, and I know that I'm not speaking just for myself here, my whole life had been spent like trying to maintain this. And all of a sudden, this was the thing that was for some reason being poked and prodded the most. So it's huge. 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 I I agree. So we're going to, so, okay. So my first, my first, um, so I, um, most people know if they've, if they've listened, but I spent my sort of bottomest moment was on July 13th, 2013. My sobriety date is September 28th, 2014. So there was over a year where I was consciously, actively trying to be sober, get sober, stay sober, um, and, and couldn't. Um, and didn't. And in that year plus time, um, God, there was a lot, uh, there were a lot of reactions um, that were really difficult. But, you know, I want to preface it by saying there were very few people, really none, um, for some time who knew what was actually going on with me. Um, I had lots of different stories floating around all over the place. Uh, the people that knew what were going, what exactly was going on with me were people in recovery who all supported me a lot. Um, one of the, the most painful situations, um, interactions was with my mom. And it was pretty early on after that July 13th date. And she was there for that. That the, for that night, July 13th, she was there for that. And she, um, you know, had to deal with sort of the aftermath. And my mom was someone who I drank with, to, you know, from the time I could drink. We, that's what we did together a lot, not always, but a lot. And we bonded that way. And it's kind of how we knew to be with each other. Um, so pretty quickly after that, I was she lived very close to me I went over to her house uh, for dinner and she had some people over and her her um, husband was there my mom I mean there's never you know dinner without wine so I you know this was so early on I didn't know how to be I didn't feel I was so uncomfortable I never asked her to not drink I didn't want that I also didn't ask her I didn't tell her it was okay to drink we didn't talk about it we didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't discussed. So she wasn't, you know, she, it wasn't, it wasn't something that there was some kind of understanding of what the situation would be like, you know, we just kind of proceeded along like with this quiet, um, like, which is such a, um, a, a difficult, thing to do with anybody when this is, when this is happening. So I went to dinner at her house. I had my daughter with me. My mom, I noticed because I noticed everything about who was and wasn't drinking in early sobriety. I noticed my mom wasn't drinking during dinner. Um, but everyone else was. And as I left, I, I went to go, I left kind of early, brought my daughter with me I went and shut the door. I got like down the hallway of her building and I realized I forgot something. And I went back into the apartment and 
I noticed within that 30 seconds, she had a big glass of wine poured for herself, like right as I walked out the door. And it just (laughs) sunk my heart, you know, because it was so, it was like, holy shit. Like she couldn't, could she not wait for me to leave? It is such a big deal to her. Um, what was I, you know, if she feels that way, my mom feels that way about me, what does everyone else feel? You know, like it is that big of a fucking deal. And now I am forever going to be this outcast slash person that people don't really want around. You know, they'll deal with it, but they don't really want me around if they're planning on drinking, which everybody I knew drank. And it felt just like being so ex like dropped out of the tribe. Yeah. And I was angry. I was sad, 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 sad. I was, um, it was just this like despondent feeling, you know, like all, like all of my worst fears were just about this were realized in that moment. Um, Can you name your worst fears about it? Yeah, like, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be wanted really anywhere. Yeah. I, every single thing about my life is going to change and I belong to nobody now. Um, Even the person, the people that love me, supposedly love me the most, most like my mom, um, aren't going to be willing to really change their lives or change their own habits. Um, and then, you know, the, there was a side issue of what the, f- like this unfairness, like what the fuck, like why, like I, I am the one tagged with this thing in my family of people who all drink. Mm-hmm. I'm the one tagged with the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I can't anymore, but they but all they can. can. And because there's isn't an issue enough for them to have to quit. It was this great unfairness. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was a great, it felt so shitty. Yeah. Uh, so that, that moment, that moment was rough. I don't, I didn't react and do anything, um, in that room, I left and I just remember crying, 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 crying the whole way home. Um, and that, that kind of thing, like that feeling kept me drinking for, it's at least part of what kept me drinking. That Um, feeling of not wanting to be left out. mm -hmm. Not wanting, not, not wanting to accept that this is just the truth for me. Like yeah. just being unwilling to accept that it was a truth for me. I just, I mean, there were many other things too, many other things at play, reasons why I drank, but that was a big one. Um, it was too blunt of a, like, it was too hard of a truth for me to face. Yeah. It was too sad, too much pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you want me to do another one? Yeah. Okay. 
So, in the trial and error phase. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many. I know that's like picking children. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> no, but I. But this is really important. I think. I just think of all the women that we talk to and how much just comes up. Um, we can go back search. and forth on this too, because yeah, I have let's a go back and forth. Yeah, let's go back and forth. Do one. Um, that comes to you. You know, for me, so when I my trial and error phase was done, um, I we've talked about this before. I was done with it. It wasn't that I got kicked out of the club so much as I was ready to leave the club. And um, like I had, I've talked before about that moment when I was out with one of my girlfriends and um, she just got super drunk and was super mean. And I was so over, I was too, I felt too old to be doing this shit and um, to be, you know, like having to, you know, having somebody jump out of a cab and text me all night, you know, angry, drunk texts. And so for me, I was ready to let go of it. And I think like the first part of it, right. in the first part of it, um, the thing that stuck out the most was uh, how I was naive in thinking that it wouldn't be a big deal. I was naive in thinking that because for me, I was just I felt empowered around it. I wasn't going to change my life. I was still going to go to parties. Um, I was still going to, you know, hang out with my friends. And I just I didn't think um, I didn't think it would, should be that big of a deal for anyone else. And um, so for me, that was what was surprising to me was the extent of how much of a big deal it was. Like um, my, you know, I've talked about this before. Like I broke it to some of my friends and I called one of my girlfriends one night and was telling her that, you know, and she was somebody that knew, somebody that knew, like she wasn't even one of the ones that was, you know, surprised by this. She was one of the ones that knew that I was struggling and I told her I'd stopped drinking and she, and then I, as we're talking on the phone, I lit a joint and she was relieved by the fact that I was smoking pot and like, as if like like oh thank god you're still smoking pot and I can't remember what she said now, but it was something. I think to the- she said, "Wasn't it we can still hang out?" Yeah, it was. It was to that. I mean, that was what it was, right? It was that was what it was. Was that like thank god you're still doing something that we have in common? Um, yeah. And I hadn't realized that that was. Um, I hadn't realized. I hadn't. I hadn't even thought about that. And I don't know why the hell I didn't even think about that. But I hadn't. And then it was. It was that being asked if I was still doing that thing. Um, people waiting for me to drink again. Uh, and the biggest thing was when I started drinking again. I did like sixty days in this first that first attempt and. When I started drinking again, it was at a Christmas party and it was at my good friend Jeff's house and he and I were going to Italy that summer and like every and it was the amount of happiness in everybody yeah. that I was drinking again. Um, yeah. It wasn't that big of a deal to me. It was a great source of pride for me um, and for everyone else, it was an inconvenience and I didn't get that and at that party we're all sitting around in a circle and we're taking shots and and Jeff was happy and he even said he he was worried about me going to Italy um because I wasn't drinking and it was that realization that 
if I wasn't drinking, people wouldn't want to hang out with me. Um, that was, and, and I think that that's a very common realization to people and what keeps them from quitting drinking. This was a yeah. very different thing for me. And that would prove to be something like it was something different as I moved into actual sobriety. But mm-hmm. in that first part of it, like when I stopped drinking the second time, I took Jeff out to dinner and told him that I had stopped drinking again and asked him if I could still go to Italy, you know, and um, right. Like it's this like all of a sudden you are this liability because you're the friend that doesn't drink. Um, And so I think that that was that was hard, you know, and I fought that a lot. Like one of my friends, like I went to a party at a bar one night because it was a party of a friend at a bar. And then the next night, one of my girlfriends and I were supposed to hang out and she said, great, let's meet at Tunnel Top. And Tunnel Top is a bar that does not serve food. And I was yeah. like, I don't want to go to Tunnel Top. I'm not drinking. And she like got mad at me and said, you told me this wouldn't change anything. And you were at a bar oh. last night. And I was just like, I was at a bar because there was a party at a bar, but I don't want to go hang out with my girlfriend at a bar. And then she ended up just not texting me back. Just cut it out. Didn't didn't hang out. Didn't didn't meet up with me. Right. Um, Because I couldn't because I it wasn't because I couldn't. I just didn't want to. And so it was just like it was. um, uh, It was lonely and it was shocking and it was. yeah. It's lonely. It is lonely. It's so lonely. Thank mm-hmm. God I had so much pot <laughs> because that's all I started to do. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of me like didn't like there, it's hard to say, too. I wish I could go back and feel all of that again. I really do. Um, because from here, I'm just like, oh, fuck that shit. But in those days, like just like the the elevator going down as you get a text from a friend that is not respect that doesn't want to say, hey, girl, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Do you want to go get some tea? You know, instead, they're throwing a shit fit that you're not going to a fucking bar. Right. And so anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I know it's I, I can put myself back there pretty quick, but I have to try. I have to really try. Yeah. Um, it, but that's the good news, right? It's like far away. It's very, it's very, very far away. <laughs> yeah, it is so much so that it, I don't feel anything. I'm talking about it. I don't even feel, you know, contempt. Yeah. <laughs> like I used to. Yeah. Um, what else do you got during your trial and error? That was like a. Yeah, I think. Okay, so. So there was, so my, my job at the time, um, I worked in advertising and I, there was a lot of drinking and I, I traveled a lot for work, um, to places like Vegas and New York city where, and I, where it was just, it was a known thing that when you do these trips, there's just drinking. There's a ton of drinking. And I didn't know how, couldn't conceive of how to possibly do this not drinking. I didn't even want to, right? I mean, it just sounded like torture. Um, so there there was this trip that I took, the first trip I took to to Vegas. Uh, and And quite a few people knew that I 
was trying to get sober. Not everybody and definitely not people at work yet. Um, so I, I was, you know, kind of in this half, like this conflicted place where the people that knew I was trying to get sober knew I had to go on this trip and were like cheering for me and hoping for me. And I knew I had to keep it from them and knew that there would be pictures on Facebook and stuff. Um, and at the same time, I'm trying to hold up the work, the work side of me that is an entertainer that's responsible for like being fun and making it happen and um, really torn, you know, for like fucking weeks leading up to the trip, like just so much energy and anxiety leading up to it. Um, so I, I remember getting to Vegas, I got there really late. I don't think I was traveling with anyone on that trip from work. So I got there late and I I had a client that was showing up uh, late also. And he texted me uh, in my, I was in my room. He texted me to be like, Hey, just landed. Let's go, let's go grab a drink. And I remember just sitting there looking at this text, right? And it seems so benign. Like, this is a thing that people do (laughs) all the time. All the time. This is a thing that people do. I've been doing it for however long. I, and it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's this thing that means so much, right? Like, I'm supposed to... My, it was like this cognitive dissonance <laughs> between the thing that was like being asked of me and that I had so easily not even given a thought to. I would have looked forward to it, of course. Right, right. Um, and then all of a sudden, I be on based on some knowledge that I that it already like slipped away so far because I was out of that sort of emergency mode, right? Like nothing was going wrong. Nothing was exploding. I'm in fucking Vegas, for God's sakes. I don't have any responsibilities here. I can come home whenever. And, but still knowing I'd have to hide it, you know, like there, my story was different in yours in that there weren't many, there were really no people in my life that were still okay with me drinking or rooting for me to drink. Like I had, (laughs) I had to keep a lot of secrets. Um, yeah. So I, I sat there looking at this text and I just said, fuck it. And I went and met him. And this is, you know, this is a really common story that repeats over and over again for me because this is what happened. We go have a couple drinks. Um, he's sitting there just talking and ha- enjoying the conversation and whatever, and all that's happening with me is this back, you know, this narrative in my mind about um, how much, how much can I drink? When can I get my next drink? Oh my God, this is, this is, you know, it feels so good, you know, like drinking feel felt. I loved the feeling of drinking, loved it, yeah. loved it. Um, this wine tastes so good, like this really insane mind fuck of how am I ever going to not do this? Um, and then as I have two drinks and three drinks, we get pretty drunk, not crazy. Um, nothing 
bad happens, but I get back to my hotel and I drink more and I stay up till like three in the morning drinking and I have to wake up the next day and I'm racked with anxiety, right? Um, because I've done, I drank again and, uh, um, and I'm just conflicted. I'm conflicted all the fucking time. Yeah. And yet nothing bad happens. So that like puts into my mind that, you know, like sometimes nothing bad happens. And so it's just this, it's just this torture chamber that I'm just in constantly. Um, and then, you know, of course, if I, if I started the trip that way, fuck it, I'm going to drink the right, whole time. That's right. Yeah. And that, you know, stuff did happen on that trip. That was pretty bad. Um, and, and but the people just, part of it. The, the people part of it, right. Okay, so so while I'm having this conversation with the client, it just affirms everything I'm afraid of. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I wasn't willing to go drink. Yeah. This is like what I need to be, to be able to do my job, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, we meet up because of the happy hour the next night and because I'm there and because I'm drinking, we, I make new connections with people that are meaningful and important to my job. I am able to like get through the weekend. Um, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, right? It affirms that this thing is really is important to me, to other people is it is, you know, it's important. It's an important part of me doing my job. It's an important part of being able to like be in the world and be, you know, there's like guys that I was flirting with and I was like, how would I, I wouldn't be attractive to them if I wasn't drinking, you know, it just goes on and on. So it's just like this constant affirmation of my worst, my worst fears. Which is that it all goes away. And that I'm also stuck in it. You know, like, how the fuck do I get out of this? Um, so that situation played out over and over and over and over again throughout that year. Um, over and over again. I mean, I could, there was a wedding in Vermont, like, right after I got sober where all my friends were. And I had to hide that I was drinking. You know, there was, it just, it just, um, it just, that played out a lot it was really more and more painful each time yeah yeah and then I think do you have another one that you want to share I had just have one more um that that I have one more well I think for me it was just the like the this will this will change as I actually move into saying I have a problem with it but The part that I think was the biggest rub for me in those in the trial and error phase, right? Like in the in the part where I was where I hadn't really achieved sobriety yet, um, Mm -hmm. was the uh, (laughs) the open season on my life from the people that did know, (laughs) and it came in ways that were that was probably the most devastating part. um, Was uh, was people taking liberties and telling me what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And so you cross this threshold when you start to look at it, right? You do, especially if you tell people that you're looking at it. Um, And for me, what that did was it invited people in to tell me how my recovery should look, what it should look like. So explain. Be smart. You're being like vague. So be specific about what you mean. 
Well, specifically, I just had, I had people writing me letters and telling me they, you know, all of a sudden now they were worried for me and I was going down the wrong path and I was, um, and they should have done something sooner. And it was just, Mm. for me, I was doing the best that I could to save my life. And, and nobody, nobody ever, this is the thing that I have to stress the most which is that we might be in denial about certain aspects of this, but nobody ever starts by saying, nobody ever, ever says, I'm going to try this sobriety thing um, <laughs> for fun. They're doing it and they're saying it no matter how terrified they are or how trepidatious they are or how many times they go back and forth. They say it because they at least have some shred of self-awareness. And yeah. I, and that's taken, that you're robbed of that. The second that you mm-hmm. say that you have an issue with alcohol, and I was robbed of that. I was robbed of, uh, in, not with everybody, but with certain people, I was robbed of this idea that I knew what I was doing. All of a sudden, I lost this credibility with, with you know, living my own life, and, and it was open season on telling me what I should do and shouldn't do. And so, like, I got emails that were just, like, just off. They, they weren't helpful in the least. There's nothing helpful about reading that, that I might not be that that I might be fooling other people, but I mean you know, because you weren't doing AA. Uh, no, 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 no. That would come later. This was because I had stopped drinking and I started drinking again. My story is I stopped oh, drinking oh, and okay. I started that to. Sorry, I started to drink again, um, mm-hmm. and I was still smoking pot. Never stopped smoking pot, and my you know my addiction to pot blew up when I would take the alcohol out and um and it's hard to hide addiction you know especially when you're Mm -hmm. you know staying with people for a couple of days uh especially when you're at the end of it (laughs) you know and um but for me if like to be really clear I knew I wanted to quit drinking that was never off the table but I needed to figure out my own way to it and I wasn't getting yeah. DUIs. You know, my children were in a danger because I didn't have children. Um, I wasn't about to lose my job. I had I had held it together for a very long time on some level. And yet, the second that I said I had a drinking problem, all of a sudden, it was, there was just, there were some people in my life that felt that they could then say, then point out everything that was wrong with me and what I was doing yeah. wrong. Even though I was doing everything, I was reading, you know, I mean, I was nonstop. I was reading every fucking spiritual book there was. I was doing my work. I was, you know, I was doing my work. And it was mm-hmm. messy and I was fucked up. And I was, um, I, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was somebody that was trying to quit drinking. Um, yeah. And it just invited in some of the worst. I mean, nothing. There was nothing helpful. There is never anything helpful. There is nothing less helpful than to write a letter to somebody who is in deep pain and addiction, <laughs> trying to quit and telling them that they don't know what the fuck they're doing and they're going to fault that, that, that they're a mess Ugh. and that they're fooling everybody. And there's nothing worse than that. And so it's like the opposite of help. It's the fucking opposite of help. Um, I, know. I know. And I've done it to people. I mean, it's like I'm writing about when I did that to people. It's yeah. the worst. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's just one of those things. I'll say that that was like my the hell was other people was not only was I feeling like I was doing this on my own. I also felt like I was 
Um, also having to survive the judgments of other people of how I should be doing it. Yeah. Um, which is, I have since, you know, I talk about this and I talk about this a lot, which is, I mean, we have got to respect everyone else's, every single person's path to recovery. It's none of, it's nobody yeah. else's business. No one's fucking business how people recover. Um, yeah. And, and you, you know, it's it, like, I love, I don't know if you've ever listened to Loving What Is on tape. I think you were the one that recommended it to me. But mm-hmm. Byron Katie talks to this mother whose daughter is wrapped up in addiction. And it's just yeah. like, for oh, some reason, okay. the second that you start going through this, other people think that they, that you need them to live your life for you. Like, like I right. know, it's like. fear. I mean, yeah. people just get fucking really afraid. Yeah. Anyway, so that was it. Like that first part was, I was doing it wrong and uh, I was told. I was doing it wrong and not there was no how can I help you what do you need from me it was I I'm so scared for you (laughs) you're in such a bad way Uh, um which is just like the biggest middle finger you could ever give somebody so that that yeah that's that's a really really important thing to say I I do want (sighs) to say I want to like add a little bit to that because I experienced um some of that with with AA, right? So, and also people who listen to this know, like I I still go to meetings. I think is the 12 steps are beautiful. I think that can be a really, really beautiful thing. Uh, that said, I have had, I have my stuff with it too. And, and one of those things is around that specifically if you aren't doing it this way, then haha, you're you're not gonna stay sober for one, and you're not gonna. Um, if you're sober, you're not really sober, right? And that that explain also, explain. I'm sorry. If you're sober, you're not really sober. You're not really. If you're if you're not, you know, if you're you're just gonna be a dry drunk. If you are trying to stay so if you're staying sober you're not drinking but you're not working the program then you are dry drunk and that means you're still acting like you know how you were before you're just not drinking anymore so those things too like that played in a lot to me resisting sobriety in that first year and a half because I didn't buy all that you know I really didn't um and it felt like it took so much of my power away and I didn't have any <laughs> to begin with. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see it that way anymore. And I can talk about these things, you know, now because I'm not, uh, because I'm out of the early part and I can talk mm-hmm. about these things. But but I, you know, I, I want to, to mention that too because I know that's something, I know that's something a lot of people deal with too. And I, and I definitely did. Yeah, I um, didn't deal with it in the trial and error phase, but I did deal with it when I was sober. Um, later. And going through yeah. AA. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The last thing, oh, I, the last thing I want to mention um, is, so there's this, there was this Thanksgiving, and this was sort of, this was, yeah, this was around the holiday season. I was dating this guy, and I was holding it together in terms of sobriety, Um but I was, I mean, I was like crazy and raw and on edge. And um, I didn't, a lot of my f- friendships had fallen away. I wasn't um, comfortable at all. 
And so I put a lot, I invested a lot in of energy and time into this one person. And I remember it was Thanksgiving and, and um, we had spent like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday together, Sunday afternoon. And I knew um, he was getting ready to leave and I knew he was going out drinking. And I knew he like really wanted to do that, you know, and I couldn't be part of it. And I would never be part of it. And I, therefore, I would never be part of, I would never be part of a relationship like that again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually really be fully wanted and accepted if I wasn't drinking. Um, And I lost my fucking mind. I lost my mind. And I mean, the reality of it was, is like, this, that relationship, like, it's true. Like, there will be people, there were people, many people who chose the thing that they wanted to do, which was drink, over hanging out with me. Um, and yeah. I, and it was just true. <laughs> like, there was no sweet way to say it. It was just true. Yeah. And how fucking bad that hurt. And and this is the thing. I knew it was true for some people because it was absolutely true for me when I was drinking. Yeah. I would have it's like you couldn't deny you it. Only you only suspect done. people of the things that you yourself would do. You know that. Like it, you yeah. It, yeah. And it's like you can suspect, <laughs> you could probably possibly surmise like maybe that's a thing, but if you know it's a thing cuz you've done it, it's like there's no way to deny it, right? So that's that's something that happened over and over again too. That night um, when he left, I remember driving to a meeting because I it was a Saturday night. It wasn't Sunday. It was Saturday night. There was I didn't have any. I literally could not think of anything else to do. There was no one else I could hang out with. I couldn't stand being by myself. There's a Saturday night meeting in my town. I knew that, and it was like this dreary, awful, cold, wintry night. And I remember driving there, and my dad texted me and he said, "What are you doing tonight?" And he knew I was. That, you know, I was trying to do this, um, and <laughs> this thing, this thing. And, I, and I was like, I said, um, I was crying. I said, I'm going to a meeting. What else could I do? And I remember just feeling that. So that was really true at that time. I had nothing else to do. And I didn't want to go to that meeting. It felt like the saddest thing I could possibly imagine to go to this meeting on a Saturday night. And it just felt like, like I was dying. Like everything was bleak and dark and cold. (laughs) I was dying. And my dad responded. This is a man, by the way, who was sober for 10 years and then decided he would drink again. And he's seemingly fine with drinking. Um, he says lots of other things, but that wasn't true for me then. It wasn't true for me at all. Yeah. Um, so that that sticks out, that feeling, um, that how that how that felt with the guy and with the really not having anything else to do or nowhere else to be and not wanting to be at the sober thing um, repeated itself a lot too. Yeah. Oh, I know. It wasn't meetings for me, but I just remember going like as it kind of started to thin out. I mean, because it did thin out. Um, I 
found I couldn't find anything online about what to do sober. I went to on to like Yelp and I searched <laughs> Yelp in San Francisco. What do you do when you're sober? And um, there were really mean things on there. Like, don't go to Yelp. Do not go to Yelp to look for sober things to do. Um, Because people will say awful things about sobriety. Um, And then I found this guy, Bucky Sinister. And it was like one article that he had written about what he does, like things to do sober. And it included, you know, it involved a VCR and a neighborhood video store and comedy (laughs) clubs. And I just was like... Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> right, right. Oh God. Um, anyway, all right. So, do you want to like? Let's use. Let's wrap it up with things we would do at the at the end of the at the end of this thing, and let's kind of move on to the next part of of like uh, how people yeah. became like what what that hell looked like as you moved into actual sobriety. Sobriety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. One of the things that I that comes to the forefront was I had I started to get a little bit of time, maybe like six months. And I remember my ex and I was still really shaky. You know, I didn't I wasn't comfortable for like nine months. I still thought about drinking all the time. I still felt really left out. I still felt sad. It's it got better and better and better and better. But it didn't I wasn't you know, I want to say that it, it lasted for much longer than I wanted it to. Um, I remember my ex-husband, we were talking uh, about it. it. He asked how it was going and stuff. And I told him. And then we, we got into talking about some other stuff. And he said, well, he's like, I feel like you, like, you'll, don't you think you'll be able to, you'll be like one of those people who, Eventually down the line, you'll be able to have a glass of wine or two at dinner. Ugh. Yeah. And this is the, this is my ex-husband, okay? This is the person who saw the worst of it. The worst of it. He saw it. He lived it. He witnessed it. He screamed at me to stop drinking multiple times. Um, and here he is saying to me, don't you think it'll be okay again at some point? And part of this, okay. Why is he saying that? Right. Okay. So part of this is him really not understanding it. He like truly doesn't understand the nature of addiction. Yeah. Um, He saw my drinking as something I was doing to medicate pain and now that I had started to and and unresolved issues and now that I had started to work through those unresolved issues I could go back to it right not understanding so some of it was just this like innocent not understanding but also there's this piece in there that I think he too wants to believe that there's that I am not this thing that he perceives as someone with a drinking true problem he doesn't want to see me that way there, he still has some stigma about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, like, both of those things, the 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 misunderstanding of it hurt a lot less because I just I knew at that point it was so I was beyond like there was no third door. I didn't want the third door anymore. I just I didn't wrestle with that. It, but the the real realization that this person who really knows me and loves me still 
kind of wished that I didn't have it. Yeah. Um, it was really sad. Well, it goes to that whole idea that you will never be lovable again with this thing. It goes to that whole idea of, of um, you know, the possible defect, right? Like that there's yeah. something like there's something wrong with you. Um, yeah. And, and it will be righted a- if you can drink. That's how you write it. You write yeah. it by being able to drink normally. That's normally. the cure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How painful that is. And yeah. how like. Because you can't. Because you can't. Yeah. And it's not the thing. It's not even. It's not even the thing you're trying for. It's just, it's the, uh, yeah, I know. I'm so glad. I was so glad at that time that he didn't say it to me three months earlier or six months earlier. Because because you would have been in the mindset to figure out how to get back to the place where you can drink normally. Totally. As the goal, which you'd been trying to do, by the way, your entire drinking career. I mean. Exactly. 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 You tried for how how many years? 16 years? That's the thing I just like, like, I don't understand. Like, anyway, sorry. I know. I know. I know. But so Uh, so there were a bunch of things in that. Like one, there are some people, even the people closest to me who don't, who really will never get it. And that, that just has to be okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, like through, uh, we'll get, uh, we'll get to what, how, how, how to deal with it, all of these things, because um, I really want to talk about that, like where, where the wisdom comes from, you know, like, okay, all these things happened, but what, what do you do to get through it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so there, so there was that, that moment and, and that realization with him, um, and it was such a holy shit moment, um, it was also, though, what we talked about in that conversation was he and I may not have ever been, if not for drinking. Like, we met at a party, <laughs> and so much of our early years were centered around that. Yeah. So much of it. Well, and you probably wouldn't have. I mean, that's my guess. Have. No. No, mm. we wouldn't have. And, and that is just a it's a hard thing to, to accept, you know, it's just true. It's just fucking true. Yeah. Um, but then you also have to think, I mean, today when I think of that, I also think, well, there's a lot of men that now I wouldn't meet if I was drinking, you know? Oh yeah. Totally. I I mean, yes, there is the flip side and I don't, it's just when you're, when you're in it and you're coming to all these realizations that are just true, it's like, and they're painful and they, and it's like, okay, you, you're not going to make that not so. How are you going to go forward? Because there's no, you're not going to go back. Yeah. So how do you go forward? And how do you not just, for me, it felt so much like, how am I going to squeeze any, you know, this is the B version of life. Like everything was confirming that this is really a thing that nobody actually wants. Yeah. Nobody wants it. Even the people that are sober are full of shit. <laughs> They're just, they've just brainwashed themselves long enough to believe that this is the better way. I don't buy it. I don't fucking buy it. Yeah. Um, which is not, you know, I can say with 100% of my soul is not true. But that, you know, that is a tough place to be. It is. It's a tough hurdle to cross. It is. So... Should we talk about how you cross it? <laughs> um, I would like to talk about some of my stuff in this part. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about oh. tools at the end. Let's just save all the, our tools to the end. Um, mm-hmm. No, I think um, for me, when I got sober, this is the biggest, like, this is the biggest changer. And there were three main things that were, I would say, like, sp- spectacularly painful about this part, which was the first being no one asked me about it. Now, remember, I didn't do AA. I didn't have a sober posse. And so it, I was in this vacuum where... Um, once I actually said I had a problem, it wasn't just that I wasn't drinking, um, which felt lighter and happier. <laughs> but when I started to, I stopped drinking in April, in April 13th or 14th in 2013. And then all of a sudden it became this thing where um, I had to say, I started saying I was an alcoholic. That was when I went to AA. I went to AA for not very long at all and not enough for it to be my thing. Um but I did start to say, I can't drink. Um, and I'm, yeah. I said it in a way that was like, fuck you. Like, um, like when people would, you know, say stupid things. And anyway, so for me, I was in this special vacuum of like, of this place where no one asked me how the fuck I was doing. Like for a year, no one. You know, my doctors did, the people I paid did, a few people did, but no one talked to me about it. No one said, can I bring you something? Can I do something for you? This must be hard. It was a lonely, lonely affair. And so that's where people were hell. People were hell because they didn't give a fuck. On New Year's Eve of, of 2013, when I was... Um, when I was just like, you know, I don't know, nine months sober, eight months sober, Mm -hmm. I broke down at Christmas and it was over being sober at Christmas and over all this shit. And my friend Todd, I like call him to tell him and like, he asks me to come to his apartment because he's breaking up with his boyfriend. I go to his apartment. I help him like, you know, pack up his boyfriend's stuff and move his boyfriend out. And I literally am dying. I'm dying from what just happened with my family and this is somebody that's never asked me once about my sobriety and at the end we're talking and I was like telling him I was trying to tell him how I was dying and he literally said um oh honey can we um save your stuff until later and just focus on me right now I mean that was (laughs) (laughs) that but I like it was just it was some people said I'm so proud of you for doing this thing you know there it wasn't like it went but it was just you know some people like there was light conversation but there was never a come close tell me how you're doing can I hug you through this thing what do you need um and so that was I would say that was the biggest hell of it was just like are you fucking kidding me like are you kidding me no one's giving you any prizes or any (laughs) consolation for your fucking struggle no it's not even no it wasn't even the prizes and the consolation that wasn't it it was like, and that was part of it too. I had to consistently remind my mom and my sister that I was sober. Hey guys, what made it to doing? a month, made it to three months, <laughs> made it to six months. Hey, nine months. Good. Good, Holly. Good job. Um, I had to tell everybody. I had to constantly remind everybody, but it wasn't that which sucked. It was that no one said, hey girl, are you Okay. How no one said that. Mm. No one. Yeah. No yeah. one. No one. 
I can't, I want to say it a hundred times because that's the part where other people were hell because they just all of a sudden were like, you know, if I, if I was going through a breakup, if I was doing any of this other fucking, you know, pedestrian shit that we do that hurts, you know, (laughs) they wanted to talk about it. Right. People would want to know. They have no idea how to talk about it. They have no idea how to talk about it. And they don't want to talk about it. No. No. And so that's the first part. The second part where people were hell in the first year of sobriety was that if they did want to talk about it, they wanted to talk about their relationship with alcohol. There was no me in any conversation I had about drinking when we did go there. It was, oh, you know how I know I don't have a problem? even though I'm on my... I literally had a friend, and I've talked about this before, tell me that she was just one of those people that could go out to a bar and drink, you know, 14, 15 beers and be okay. She just was lucky. (laughs) (laughs) On her, like, 14th beer? No, she wasn't. She wasn't. Um, I had a friend on her third glass of champagne get in my face. The first night I said, I'm not drinking again, right? Like, hey... Um, and literally talk to me and say, this is how I know I don't have a problem. Um, you know, I just, like I said, like the last time, my friend, you know, one of my good friends, one of my best friends from college, uh, and I went out to lunch and who, a girlfriend who, by the way, we used to trade stories about blacking out and driving and stuff like that, who told me, like, instead of saying, like, oh, yeah, was like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend, he had to stop drinking because he was drinking a glass of whiskey every night. He knew he had a problem, too. I'm so sorry. Like, it was like you guys, instead of, like, I mean, her dis- her drinking was as dysfunctional as mine. Her drinking was as dysfunctional as mine. So there was this, like, other part of this where all of a sudden all of my peeps who had been, you know, drinking like shitheads just right along with me, all of a sudden were like, Oh yeah, totally different thing. And like, and the yeah. other, they like, you know, found ways to draw distinctions between the two of us. And then the third way yeah. that other people were hell in this first year of sobriety was in my experiences through AA, where I was consistently told the same thing that you were talking about earlier. This is where that part came in. This is why I stopped doing AA, that I was going to drink if I didn't do the things. And it was the last thing I needed to be told in that first year. It was the last thing that I needed was people coming up to me and, and basically, you know, threatening me and threatening my sobriety with their dogma. Um, and, and that whole, like, and, and even friends of mine that were not, that were still drinking or, and who knew of the program through parents or brothers, whatever, told me I was kidding myself by not doing the program. So, I I mean, it was just like, it was like people were not there in the way I needed them to be. Um, And when they were there, they were either talking about themselves or they were telling me what I was doing wrong. And there was very, there was very little middle ground in any of that. And then on the other, you know, and then there was that other special shit where you stop getting invited to places and people are just dicks about it. Like my friend in a yoga class one day, like asked me why I went to brunch at Mission Beach Cafe. Like, oh, I guess you wouldn't have any fun there. Like, like, why would you go there? Because they serve big mimosa. No, it was just like, it was like, I mean, people just said 
dumb, stupid things and stopped inviting me to things. And like, um, and then this, this one girl, like, I mean, I just like had this, like the most like specific memory I can, like I can think of like where I kind of died was I walking past one of my friends and not recognizing her immediately. And then when I did turning around and saying, Oh, Hey, and her walking the other direction to avoid me. Um, and so it was, uh, and then me texting her and saying, "Was that you?" And her saying, "Oh my God, was that you?" And um, and you knew she had seen you. And I knew that she'd seen me. You know, yeah. it was just like, uh, I, I mean, I could go out, uh, but it was like, um, but yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> it's it was, hell. It was, it was awful. It was awful. I felt like in that year, I. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt so alone in my life. And, um, and I, and I, you know, I had these other, I, it wasn't that I didn't have certain people. Most of them though were people I paid. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, we said that. And we said that there are people who are great. Not everyone was terrible, but we're talking about the bad shit. Yeah. And there was a lot. There was, there was a, there was enough to that. Um, I mean, and, and like that, that forced me into this place that I had never been forced into before, which was solitude. Um, it was, which is fucking, oh, right. Oh, okay. And then this one last thing, and then I swear I'll shut the fuck up. In that first year too, I wanted, I fell in love with Jeff, who is my best friend. Um, and uh, who had wanted to date me for years. And um, I felt we went to Italy and I came back and, I was certain that he, I was supposed to marry him and I (laughs) told him that and then, um, and then he didn't want me. Um, and when I then pursued him, um, like a mad woman, like at work, the poor guy, like had to work with me. Um, like you wouldn't leave him alone. (laughs) I just was like, give me my answer. Why are we not going out? When are we going out on our first date? Um, he, uh, when when he told me like the reasons he was no longer attracted to me it was number 1 because he thought i was in a very vulnerable place and also because he imagined himself as somebody that drank and i also like i hadn't even considered like i don't know why i just hadn't considered that like that that would be a factor and that that kind of blew me open in every possible awful way that you know my safe bet was then telling me that um uh, it was off the table because I, you know, couldn't go to Oktoberfest. And so, and it was, and he was right. I was out of my mind. And I mean, I was, yeah. you know, yeah. I was I like, I was without saying like first year, <laughs> just, he was I right. But, but, <laughs> but I fell in love so many times in my first year. I would fall in love in a meeting with like the scraggliest, <laughs> like dude who just walked in off the street um, you know, clearly, like when he spoke, you know, wasn't working. Maybe <laughs> had, a, you know, a dozen kids. Uh, it was, and I would, like fall in love with these people. Why? Like I've actually heard that um, in Melissa in Melissa Fibos's book, she just was saying that same thing that like she would scan the meetings for for people to be in love with her or, you know, for pe- look for potential yeah. candidates. And Sarah Sarah Heppelis said that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I kind of did too. Um, yeah, I think we. You know, we're, we're it's a desperate it's a desperate time, and we're also like our feelings are just confused. We don't know. Yeah. Like it's like you, it's all of a sudden you take this the like 
the lid off yeah. and everything out. And you're like, I'm oh, in yeah. love. I, I'm angry. Oh, I, I don't know what I'm, yeah. What am I? I must be love. <laughs> oh my God. I something. It must be love. <laughs> what is this thing? I feel this thing. No, I, yeah, I know. It's, I was, I was bonafide crazy in the best way. But yeah, I felt everything and I felt it, you know, a thousand times more than you or anyone else. It was, it was awesome. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was like, those are, those are like stories that stand out. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on about all this shit, you know? Um, But it was like, but that first year I would say it was like the most brutal, um, Mm-hmm. And now how is it? Like, how are people, how, how have people, how, you're what? You're almost to three years? No, I'm two and several months. Okay. At two and several months, let's talk about, like, yeah, let's talk about the concept of people, other people being hell now. It's like in, in context of sobriety. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm curious. So, okay. So it's all of the stuff that I mentioned before. I don't. It doesn't hit me in the same the same way um, at all. But the, there are still times when other people are hell. And I would say they primarily revolve around dating or trying to date. Um, and it's sort of like the reverse of how I felt before. It's sort of like I feel like you did in the beginning where I... I don't have this naivete about about it, but um, the fact that it, it is a thing that people care about. But I have this sort of I I am so much better and so much happier, and just I like I really like who I am now. Yeah. And so so when it becomes an issue, especially b- before people know me, like we're talking about on Tinder or on Bumble. Um, where it's an issue that just that um, shoots down the potential of proceeding further before someone has even known me, it's surprising in a way because it's like it's surprising, but it's more like that's so sad. <laughs> that's so sad because I'm awesome. Yeah. And that's so that's so unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, I so I've experienced that in and in, in you know recently, where I will get you know I, I've had one person just say straight out, "Hey, like you seem great, but I've tried to date other people who don't drink and it doesn't work." <laughs> Sad face. And I've had. Um, I've had, you know, a couple similar, just like straight up. Mm, nope, I'm not interested. Yeah. I've had a lot of, so you don't drink ever. And then, you know, the conversation just slowly trickles out. Um, so that that has been, I don't know if it's hell. I think it's frustrating. And I think it's, it's not hell like it was. That, that type of stuff would have slayed me. Um, a year or two ago, but it's yeah. just kind of like, huh? Okay, so that's it's real. Um, I would say the other 
thing where sometimes it, other people can be held is that still, um, I mean, I'm very out there. There's nobody in my life except maybe acquaintances uh, that don't know that I don't, that I don't drink and that I talk about it a lot. And that um, even people that follow me or that read my writing still don't want to talk about it really. Um, and that, that can be really hard. Yeah. Like it's hard because I will talk to anybody about anything and I want to, like I have very little interest in having surface level conversations. It's exhausting to me. Um, so if I'm talking to someone, I want to like get in there, you know, I want to talk about shit and stuff, real stuff that's happening and people will talk about almost anything, but they don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay because I have tons of other people that I can talk to about it, but I, I sort of wish, I often wish it wasn't a thing that was off the table with people that aren't, that aren't sober because it's really only something I talk about with other people in sobriety. Yeah. Um, like even my mom, even my, there are a few friends that maybe will go there, but for the most part, people don't want to talk about it. Um, there's that. And I have a good thing. So maybe I illustrate the bad things that are too many to count. And they're just like m the, the majority of my interactions with, with a good thing. How about that? Okay. Because it's like the the ancillary to what usually happens. So I have this friend who um, I met because of my daughter. She's the mom of uh, another kid, and we like met at through our kids' sports, and we became we so we hung out for hours every week, like while we were watching them, and we all really liked each other um, a lot, and we became friends, and we became friends on Facebook, and this is not a common occurrence with me and other moms at all. So it was it was exciting and awesome. I was really excited about it. And then I uh, mentioned there got to be a conversation where we were talking about drinking, and I just happened to like throw out that I don't drink anymore. And they and they were fine. They were you know didn't ask much about it. But then uh, about a week later, someone shared on my on my personal Facebook page one of the articles that I had written, and both of the moms messaged me and were like, oh my God, this makes so much more sense now. And that this is so amazing. And I, you're so brave. And then went on to say, like, to invite me to stuff, invite me to things where there would be drinking and to just say, I'll never forget it. Cause it was such a different thing wh where this mom said, so I have no idea how to do this, Laura, what happens? Like, do you want, do you, are you okay with it? Are you not okay with it? Do I buy you other things to drink? Will you bring things? Like she just asked all the questions that nobody wants to ask, you know? That's right. Like, like, how does this happen? I don't, it's like when Glennon said, like, I want black friends. I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to ask for them. How does this happen? That's right. And you ask it in the stupid and bumbly and, and I appreciated it to this day. I appreciate it so much. Like it made me cry because it was like, it cleared away all of the stupid shit that's in between me and so many other people just fucking ask me. 
it's so beautiful and it's so um it's so hard it's so hard like my i've talked about this before my my family never talks about it has never talked about my sobriety and my uncle has had a liver transplant and i mean Mm. we've lost a lot of people in our family um to alcohol a lot And no one talks about it. And we, and it's been, it is, it will be, this was the fourth holiday season I've gone through with my family without drinking. And at Christmas Eve dinner, this miracle happened where my cousin offered me a glass of champagne. And like, it was like one of those things where I I was just like, are you, you fucking kidding me um like let's like we can like I'm cool with us pretending like it's not happening but um could you remember what I do for a living maybe anybody was she was she was she did she truly just space out or she did I don't don't know I don't know her dad is the one who's had the liver transplant but anyway it just like but it was this is it sparked this conversation it didn't spark the conversation, but a bit later we were talking about how my uncle, who almost died, who's had, you know, like um, how after getting out of the hospital, like three days after getting out of the hospital, my aunt, who's now deceased, asked him to go to Costco to buy him a super large, bo- her a super large bottle of vodka. And, she, and, and my cousin is like saying this just incredulously, um, like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I was, and then she goes, oh my God. And then I offered you a glass of champagne and, um, you know, it's like this like thing. Like it clicked in her brain. Yeah. Right, because it was not because her she gets it from her father's perspective, but maybe not from my perspective. And um, mm-hmm. but this it it's this thing. My uncle and I talked about it for the last time, for the first time ever last year. We had dinner together last summer when I was living in Fresno, and we both are the ones that don't drink. And we just kind of had this honest conversation about it. I told him how much I miss mm-hmm. pot, and we laughed about like you know if we if we get cancer, how he's going to be you know drinking at this bar in Mexico, and I'm going to be you know stoking it up. And we were just like <laughs> having this like sweet moment, but that's the only time I've ever really talked about it in my family and. The point of what I'm saying is like it is this thing that we do not know how to talk about because we have turned it into this monster and this beast. It's it's, alcoholism is something that nobody wants to have. It's this thing that only happens to a few really sad people. And sad people. And and you know, and, and it's something that only happens to people that admit that it's happening to them to some degree. You know, you can have the most fucked up relationship with alcohol, but if you're like, I just like drinking, then most people will get on board with that and you can take it really 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 (laughs) far you can you can and like it's this thing that we are that we that we're ashamed of in other people because we think of it Mm -hmm. as this like lack like Ryan like my ex I mean that was it was his own shame coming through in that moment yeah yeah and so we don't. And it's like, I've, I, I've talked about this before. When I go to Italy, it's like such a breath of fresh air because they don't have any, any issue talking to you about it. I notice you don't mm-hmm. drink. What would you like to do? Um, like, can you, what, how, what happened to you? Nobody ever right. asks me that. No one ever asks what happened to me and why mm-hmm. I don't drink. Um, they avoid it at all costs. Like it's this thing. Like it's you know. It's like uh, anyway. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. Anyway, I get that. I get that so much. And it's it is like I, it also it's just refreshing on some level at this point and where I'm at. The people 
people don't talk about it. It is because I don't want to. I talk about it enough. I blog about it and I podcast about it. And all of my like most all of my friends are sober. And we talk about it. So it's kind of like this thing like when I tell people what I do and then they start asking me questions. A lot of times I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it. Um, right. Well, but, but that's an important point. OK, because because there there is kind of no way to win it. In a way, <laughs> at the beginning, because yeah. people would ask, you know, some people would ask, a couple of people asked, what what can I do? And I really didn't know. I was yeah. like, I don't know. It, it keep inviting me to things. Yeah. Um, it might make me Make me feel normal. <laughs> but keep inviting me. Do you want me to not drink in front of you? No. Do you want me to drink in front of you? No. Do you, like, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't yeah. know what I needed. And so it's like, how, the best the, the best thing I told people was just I don't know and it changes all the time and just like give me like give me that space you know we're so as a society we're so uncomfortable with not having a known thing you know or with not knowing what to do and for allowing like this you know sort of groundlessness with people I mean that that's part of it is like we need to know what to do in this case and what to do in this case and it doesn't it there isn't like a a way to be. That's why my friend asking me that, like, how do we do this? I don't know how to do it. It was the best question to get asked. Yeah, I think it's I think it's perfect, and I think she's brave, and that's exactly the kind of questions I want to be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's okay. So let's. Um, oh, uh, for me also the thing in the last couple of years, like the I what I'm almost four years sober now. Um, and in the last three years, um, my hell, um, uh, other people, how do I, will you ask me it? <laughs> so how answer. have other people been hell? How are and, people other hell now? <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> they're not, I mean, mm. Like the, I think like the things that get me the most are when people, when I'll post something and people assume things about me. Um, I think that's it. Like what? Oh, like, um, don't like I posted something the other day. It's, it's a small thing, but I posted a picture on my personal Facebook page and I said, just thinking back to that time where I was still tan, having sex, you know, tolerating gluten and, like one of one of my dear friends said, don't look back, just keep going forward. Oh, and God. I know and I love her so much and she's so smart. But I was sarcasm. just like, ah, you know, and so but it's like that. I think that that's where I run into the biggest hell, which is where when I'll write something and I'm just being me and I'm just posting how I feel unsolicited advice um it generally is the thing that kills me the most that's that's it just other people that's not not bad that's That's yeah this is true this is true I don't know I don't think other people are really hell anymore um because I don't have I really don't and like dating for me you know like I went through this thing last week where I tried to date a guy a second time like we'd had a really weird first date and then we decided to go out again, um, and I mean, and it, <laughs> like, and he threw a temper tantrum um, because I kept my standards because I didn't, I because I don't want to fuck around anymore with guys that are half interested and guys that are dicks and guys that are, you know, whatever, and um, 
And um, and again, this isn't even like sobriety stuff, but it kind of all ties into sobriety. But like I long story short being that I've had a lot of interesting stuff happen with date, like dating and sobriety. And those have probably been the, the relationships that have, you know, worked on me the most in the last couple yeah. of years. Um, sure. But I like there's something that's happening in me now where even when I have like like really um unfortunate interactions with other individuals um I feel expansive afterwards like this guy like you know he he tried to change a date on me at the last minute by saying he was sick and and then I was just like um I'm sorry I'm not having it you know you had all day yesterday when you said you were going to call me to plan the date and didn't tell me and it's like four hours ahead of our date and I just said no thanks and then he said (laughs) some Oh my god! Uh, bad. Go away. Go. He said, "Go away." <laughs> <laughs> he go literally away, said, "Go away." <laughs> he said, "Yeah, you judge me. Yeah, I'll judge you, princess." And like go some other away. stuff. And then he said, "Go away." And I just was like, "Huh," and I didn't respond. And um, <laughs> I went away. Um. But it was just one of those things where um, I might have had that experience two years ago or even a year ago, even six months ago, and been really hurt and floored and torn. Um, And now I'm just kind of like, huh, I feel expansive after things like that because I feel like it's just like, um, you know, what what do they call that in therapy Um, when you're trying to get over like your fear of spiders, like exposure treatment? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it is totally that. It's like <laughs> it's like in early sobriety, you're just like, don't don't show me that, don't show don't me show that, me. don't show me nope. that, don't yep. show me that, don't show me that, because it's like you're all you have all these fears that are you know that uh, that are awful. Yeah, and then you slowly start to <laughs> see that they're true. Like I saw it was true with that experience with my mom. Yeah, I thought it was true with my experience with my ex. I thought I saw it was true. All these things that I feared were actually real, like they yeah. were true, but they didn't do what I thought they were going to do to me. Yeah, I know. And, well, they did yeah, at first. They did at first. You fucking better first, believe. But you're still there. Then you're, you're still there. Still there. <laughs> and, and this is where you get into like the healing part. I mean, so you go through this stuff. You you have these really brutal experiences of being cast out and all the things you fear right yeah I fear I'm fear I fear that people are not going to want to hang out with me anymore guess what it's true (laughs) I fear that people are going to think because I have a drinking problem that I uh was a you know have all these judgments against me guess what they do yeah people do that you know, I have the fear that um, even people who adore me and love me and are important in my life um, are going to choose to drink sometimes rather than be with me. True. true. Go down the list. It's true. Okay. All it's of true. it's and turned then, out to be true. Yeah. And then what? Like, so you have these things, they happen and you're still, you still, you can stay in that. And, and look, I, a lot of people, this is, I mean, don't you think this is at least in the top three reasons why we're even doing this show? Which, that because, because people are such idiots? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I looked around and I was like, 
who, what, where are my fucking people and why aren't we talking about this? Yeah. Why is this such a fucking thing? Well, when we, when we listen, I listened to, um, Dear Sugar, right? And she's talking about, she was, it was talking about friend inventories and how to break up with friendships. And I was like snorting at like the levels that they were going to in that because it was nothing compared. I was like, Oh, you just wait, you know, like this has nothing. This will, this has like, I have a lot to say about this. Yeah. That's well, (laughs) well, it was just, it was like playing in the kiddie pool of friendship stuff. Like, let's talk about what happens to your friendships and you stop drinking. Let's talk about how you break up with friends that are, you know, I mean like, Nah. It, so anyways yes because like this is a different conversation it's a very different conversation and it is one that can only be understood by somebody that understands what it's like to do the thing that that everybody's afraid of doing to some degree nobody wants to do and society doesn't know what the fuck to do with and so yeah I mean this is this is I would say probably like like the number one reason that we do this because we live in a society yeah. that doesn't understand what it fucking feels like when you do something like this and I do think it's changing I do. I think it's becoming more socially acceptable to be sober. Um, I mean, it's all around us that we can see this, but that doesn't change how much it's not. It doesn't change the fact that people still don't understand that you don't drink. What? You know? um, Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's so true. I mean, and, and, you know, part of this is like, okay, the first, it's like when you, when you break up with someone, right? When you have had an, a long relationship, say you're like the most in love you've ever been, you're with this person for a long time and you've built an entire life around them and it doesn't work out and you, for whatever reason, the relationship is over and you cannot possibly see what it would, you can't imagine or believe or even want to imagine what it would be like to be over this person and to be happy again and to live a different way Mm -hmm. and to open your heart again. It's the same thing. Yeah, it is. That's why I've equated it to grief so many times because, um, I, it's a loss. It's it's the way it felt to me is, is very much like a breakup and having to go through all the grieving around that. And so, now, you know, when you get to the other side and the way you get through this is similar to how you get through a breakup. You kind of just keep going, right? Like you keep going, you suspend your disbelief that there's another way in as as often as you can. Um, you take these shots to the chin that really fucking hurt. And because I think the reason it can be so transformative is because you're not you can't numb out you know you get the you get the right you actually have to go with it that's right you actually have to go through it yeah and so it's brutal and then and then it changes and you start you know one of the things I didn't identify with with you or I see as a big difference in our paths um was that I know you were talking specifically about your family, but you were also talking about other people in your life that you didn't really have people that you talked to about it. And I think this changed like when we met and I think you probably had a couple other people too, Mm -hmm. but I think that was the the difference in it's really why you started uh, at least part of the reason why you started hip sobriety school is the community aspect. Like that was something I did get through AA and something I did get through the program and meetings is I started to, whether I wanted it or not, I started to have, people in my life who did get it and I could talk to at the length and the level of detail that I wanted to talk about what it is like to go through this right and that made a huge difference and it continues to be the 
you know, the, one of the biggest deals. Like one of the ways that I have changed how I feel about other people being hell is to find people that aren't hell because they or people that it. understand. Yeah, yeah. No, it took me. I mean, the first girl I met was in July of that year or October. I can't remember, but it was one girl, and she lives in New York, and we met for dinner a couple of times, and, and that was lovely. Um, and she was the first one that looked like me. I mean, I'd been to AA meetings, and I'd met people in AA. I'd had those, you know. I had. I know. But I but also you didn't. I wasn't in it, and I didn't like. I didn't assimilate, and didn't feel at all like I had much in common with it. Was I met more there. painful to you than it was like helpful. I think. Oh, it made right? me want to come out of my skin. It made it depressed the fuck out of me. Um, right. And scared me. Um. And. No, I didn't. And I, and I didn't really like the first friends I made was when I started, I started something called Sobriety Club for Girls and I put it on Meetup and I would have people come to my house and I met like some really, like one of my, oh my God, you know, I just, that was where I started. That was where I started to meet my people. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, from there I just kind of started to blossom. But um, no, so let's get into, let's wrap this up. Um, why don't we each just, I, I think it's important maybe for each of us to give like, three tools that that are three yeah. things that we've really learned um along the way that have helped us to move through all of this and we can just go back and forth um, okay do you want me to go first sure um okay so for me a big a big tool or a big uh, way that I sort of learned this was so you have to be with yourself a lot, right? And you have all these things, like all this stuff that we have going on, emotions coming out of you sideways, um, just discomfort all around. Uh, I would say, even though it sounds maybe weird, that it was so much more important for me to be in my body um, than it ever had been before. I started to rely on running and especially, especially yoga because of the mindfulness aspect of it uh, when I got sober. So the reason that that worked so much and that it's, it is related to other people and it could be anything by the way, but I think it has to be something that gets you into your body is I could feel, I could feel who I am when I'm in my body um, and I'm, I'm in my skin, I can feel the truth about who I am, right? So much of this is competing with other people's versions, uh, of society's versions of what it means and who you are now that you don't drink. And it was so much more important. It, it was vital for me to do things that reminded me of who I truly am and how strong I am and like the pureness of heart there and to feel connected to love. And for me that I, I get that, uh, in my body and through running and especially through yoga. So I also found that going to yoga classes and going to practice with people gave me like yoga studios are great places to connect with other people in a way in a not drinking environment where it was one of the few things I knew that I could do and and like enjoy without drinking um and I've met so many great people through that um so it took this thing that I had really done for a long time and it just made it so much more different and it 
and it was so important, like on every level to do that. I talk, I write on my blog about why running was so important to my sobriety. Um, and I, does that make sense? Like how, does that make sense? If it does why to you, then when, of course it does. Yeah, I mean, and it just, I, there was no way to, um, it cut the pain of of this and there was no way to, like for a time, there was no way with other people that I was going to, I didn't have people in my life to prove to me, to make me feel good. I couldn't get it from the outside. I think that's what it is. It's like learning that this doesn't come from the outside. And so starting to do things to cultivate that yeah. in your body yeah. was was a big deal for me. Yeah, I think that makes sense for sure. Cool. What about you? That's one. Um, I think when I look back on this whole thing, like the whole thing from, from where I sit today, the, the part that strikes me the most about it, one time I, I was working with a coach and she said something like, you're on a reconnaissance mission. I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but she was like, you know, you don't, you're not bringing a team with you. You know, you're, you're like a, mm-hmm. you're, you have to do this alone. And she used a word that implied, you know, single person doing something. Um, <laughs> that I can't remember ever. Um, but you understood. What no, meant. I knew what it, I just can never, I've never been able to recall it. I've always wanted to tell the story. Um, but the, the truth is when I look back at what happened to me and I look back at what this path has been, it's been no different than any hero's journey. I mean, that's just what this is, is mm-hmm. we're all on a path in our life. We're all on a path to finding, you know, our, our, our way back to ourselves. And some, you know, we've used this word before. It's, there's an invitation that comes um, and, and comes in many different ways to many different people. You know, like, for instance, my sister's on this path. Her invitation wasn't drinking. Her invitation was... Um, you know, uh, being a mother and being, you know, and, and having a job that she had and being completely sickened by what's happening in our world, you know, and that was, that's, and so we have like, we have these invitations. And for me, that was just what this was, was this invitation to go on this hero's journey. And when I think back on what has happened in my life, you know, I, I never, like, I don't look back on the last four years and see me doing anything with other people. When my In my mind's eye, when I look at that, yeah. I see myself on a very beautiful path, a wonderful, like, I mean, beyond my wildest dreams kind of thing um, with some of those magical happenings that have ever, you know, that I've ever beheld. And I'm by myself and by myself and a lot of it I see, you know, in Italy, but a lot of it I also see in my apartment and in yoga classes. And even if I was surrounded by people, it was still Holly's journey. And so it's it's this forcing into this place, right? It's this forcing into this place to do this work that most humans are too afraid to do. We spend so much of our lives trying to fit in and stay safe and be with a tribe and uphold these social contracts of staying shitty and small and not being, you know, too much for anybody. And we just like stay in our little, you know, compartments. Mm-hmm. And then this happens and you're like, you don't want it. But then there you are. And four years later, you can sit back and say, damn, that was awesome. And thank God, yeah. thank God that I lost all of that. Um, because I don't, I didn't want any of it anyway, turns out. I know, I know. So I would say the first thing is that 
if you can, like the first thing that, you know, going back to me, the advice I would give me is good. Let them go. Good. Let yeah. that hurt. Good. Find that. Find your path. Find, do it alone. Take up the solitude. You know, yeah. absorb the wonder. Don't worry. Like finding community is so important. I'm not undermining that. That is important. You need to find your people. But at the same time, this isn't about anybody else. This is just about you showing up yeah. in the world in a way that you that many, many people will never get to show up in this world. And it's fantastic. Um, and and you don't yeah. get that level of freedom without sacrifice. You don't get yep. the things that we get without severe sacrifice. And so that's yep. that's it. That's the first. I love it. No, it's so good. It's so good. And I, yes, I feel it. Feel it too. What's your second? Um, it's really basic, but uh, I'll just keep it at that. So Pema has this saying one of our many sayings that um that we as humans are actually very stupid about the things we think will actually make us happy yeah we we don't know what will actually make us happy um and we go we chase we chase we chase things that give us pleasure but will never make us happy um and i I think holding on to that through this uh, and remembering that that's just the truth of it. Like I wanted all these things with other, I wanted in relationships and connections with other people. I wanted, I thought that alcohol had everything to do with it. I thought thought that's what it was giving me and it never was, you know, all the stuff that I found was that I wanted was in sobriety um, so really, like, trusting uh, those words whenever possible um, to say, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's going to make you happy. You've chased it. all the wrong things. I love it. Mm. What else do you got? Um, I think my number two would just be the simple thing of this has also been the time in my life where I've learned that all relationships are assignments um, and that these things that we think are having, I mean, it's so easy, especially at the beginning to think all this stuff is being done to you. Like it's so Mm -hmm. easy to look at all this stuff and think that life is unfair and people suck and, um, and, and it's, and it feels that way and there's no denying that, but the thing that served me the most that I didn't know before, I didn't understand this concept before, but that people come into our lives to teach us. They don't come into our lives to make our life easier. And some do. I mean, some, you know, some really do. Some really are just pure angels and, and they do exactly what you need them to do and what you want them to do. And that's the lesson that you need, you know. But for the most part, people don't do what we want them to do and they don't act the way we want no. them to act. <laughs> They're dicks. They do not. People are dicks. um and so and that's where the like that's where it is i would when i again going back to this thing this you know like that guy texting me go away i like i thank him and i do like i am at a place where i actually think like my angels i trust that they know better than i do and i thank them for giving me these experiences to practice 
the things that I need to learn and the things I need to practice, forgiveness and love and kindness. Um, you know, I sat and had a little, a small little ceremony on my bed that night, um, bef- you know, as I was watching Dances with Wolves and crying my eyes out. Um, after he mm-hmm. told me to go away and I had this small ceremony with him where I just like, you know, released and bowed and honored and, you know, honored his pain and the pain that would cause somebody to say something like that. That's a lot different than, you know, six months ago when when Peter said the same thing. And, yeah. you know, and I, you know, said like and I went off about how that's the the go-to for men to make women psycho, you know, in order to be able, you know, and I just, you know, and it's a lot different than when Justin said go away, which made me go sit in a a corner for 24 hours catatonic. (laughs) (laughs) Why do so many men tell me to go away? What the fuck? Um, No, but it was just like, okay, got it, you know, and the same goes for friends and the same goes for all these things. And so that's the, the second part is which is like that the biggest learning in all this is that and a return to love helps with this course of miracles helps with this extremely um the full text um Byron make, katie helps with it a lot right too. yeah um there's so much good stuff out there but these things that happen to they're not happening to us they're happening for us and it's mad it's up to us whether we want to take the lesson or not we're gonna fuck up so many times i like i've grown so like every time it's just it's an opportunity that you know that thing is just an opportunity to forgive somebody very quickly and actually like without even you know it was funny and light it was a mosquito bite and i was you know and it didn't even didn't even affect me um in in a negative way um but that's yeah. earned and that's only earned because i had to you know be faced with it so many times so um so yeah every relationship's an assignment and we don't have to take every assignment but you know the more we take and the more we work with the stuff the better the the freer we get i mean yeah. freer we get um yeah all right what's your third um so as I was, as you were talking, I thought of that song by Blondish that we both love. Oh my God, um, I know. Thank you, Danny Coulter. That was her find. Danny's yeah, got the I'll, best we'll link, taste. We'll link it up. It, I play it in, in most of my workshops now, by the way. Do Danny. you? Um, so it is, I'll, I'll link it up. But he goes on this thing and at the end, it's basically like, look, at, at some point, you have to own your experience because you yes. can blame it on your mom because she was neurotic, because her mom dropped her on her head, because she was neurotic, and on and on and on to you go back to, like, the disappearing monkey or something. Um, but at some point, you have to own that this is your experience. And it's, he, the, way he, <laughs> the way he says it is the birth, it's the birth of responsibility. Yeah. And that this that's what this is teach has taught me uh, more than anything. More than anything, is it does it it never matters. It never matters what someone else's experience of me is. Mm-mm. It never matters. It all it only matters um, if I'm free and I'm okay and I'm in integrity with myself and I'm standing in love. It only ever it, and and that is like. That's a lot of words to just say. Um, it is very hard to do. I fail every day. But it 
it couldn't, I got to the point where it couldn't matter what other people thought, because if it mattered, if it kept mattering as much, I would die. Yeah. I would have died. And if I would have lived, it would have been a miserable, suffering existence. So, you know, necessity brought me there, but then it becomes a choice, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I love that point. And I love that song. Oh my God, I love it. I'm like thinking about it and it's making me cry. It's such a good song. I know, it's song. so good. It's so good. It is. So, do you have more or is that yours? No, I have three. Did you do two or three? I only okay. did two. Um, okay. My third and my last is that um, you do not have to be friends. Um, you, first of all, you don't have to like everybody. And also, you don't have to be friends with people you don't like. And like, they're, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, here is something I can love everybody. I actually have a, a very like, it's a, it's a strength of mine. I have an ability to love people that I don't like very much. Um, mm-hmm. you do. And also, I also have an ability. I, I, I also don't like a lot of people. I mean, it's just true. Like, yeah, there are a lot of dicks. And I, I've said dicks like a hundred times. But there are. There are a lot of dicks out there. And there is, you know, like, it's the spiritual thing is not to, like, get along with everybody all the time and think everybody's great. And there's nothing, no. there is nothing wrong. And this is something that's taken me a really long time. I held on to some dumb fucking friendships for way too long for the sake of thinking that I had to like this person or I had to be with friends with this person or Right. Or whatnot. They've always been your friend. Because they've always. And because of this. And, you know, like I had this one friend who's just been a dick. She has been a fucking dick for the last couple of years. And I just like, and I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know why I kept on holding on to it. But I just like got to this point finally this summer where I just, she sent a dick fucking text message and I was like, I'm done. I am so done trying to like like pretending that this brings any joy into my life and so like so yeah that's the like I mean there's so many more there's so many you know big profound beautiful spiritual lessons but one of the last like spiritual lessons is that you don't have to like everybody number one and number two you for sure do not have to hang out with be friends give energy give time or do anything to people you don't like you actually get to walk away just like that from people yeah. you don't like. And I have no yeah. problem doing that anymore. I have none. I have no problem doing that. Um, I know. And it's, 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 it's actually just realistic, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and it's a higher quality of life. Because, like, the people that I really love that bring out, like, I mean, we're all here in this world to do, you know, our work is to open up, is to crack open and to be open and to be love and to be able to love all despite what they do. And, like, the the way that we, the way that we further this love within ourselves is by doing things that make us feel love, right? And, and being yeah. and forcing ourselves into unrealistic relationships for the sake of God knows what does not open up a heart it closes a heart and it makes us feel dead and so we do the things that make us feel like do the things that make you come alive and and part of Mm -hmm. that is really conserving your energy for the people that make you come alive and not for the ones that you're like oh i don't want to talk to her or oh i don't you know like i hate doing you know whoa god just you know 
So anyway, that was what I'd tell. I'd go back four years and I would tell myself, girl, like you do not have to hang on to these friendships that do nothing for you with people you don't really like that much. You get to actually say no. Um, I know you have to learn it, though, that like you have to learn it the way you learn it, right? You do have to learn it the way you learn it. Oh, my God. But no one was saying that to me. I mean, that's that's the thing. That's why we wanted to do this. Like these lessons were not they were not available. I didn't have anybody that I heard saying this stuff <laughs> or I couldn't hear it you know whatever I I think that's a bigger part of it is that we yeah. generally can't hear things until we're ready to hear them I don't think it's that nobody said this um I guarantee you this yeah. stuff has been said um but I wasn't just, yeah I was like la 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 I can't yeah. hear you I just want to hear the pain yeah I know I know so anyway this is like the longest episode we've actually ever done um and yeah, anything else you want to add? Oh, I, no. oh I, I do want to tell you that I like you. <laughs> oh, you do? You're right. good. I like you a lot. <laughs> you all this time? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like you so much. Um, I like you too. Okay. Uh, all right. Toodaloo. Toodaloos. Yeah. I know it's been two hours. So-